So today we're looking at joy. We're thinking about joy. We want to encounter joy. We want to leave here more joyful. This is the third in our Love 15 series uh, where we're walking through John chapter 15 uh, at the start of 2015. You see what we did there. And um, perhaps appropriate to be thinking about joy. Uh, a few hours after we were partying in here, the Burns Night Party, terrific success, packed out. Thank you so much to those who made it all uh, possible. So let's look together at John chapter 15, verses 10 to 12. I think it's going to come on the screen. There we go. John 15, 10 to 12. Jesus says, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Whenever I read these verses, I remember uh, a, a particular encounter with a guy some of you know called David James. Uh, when David first moved to uh, be part of Emmaus here, I was one of those involved with sort of giving a bit of discipleship and mentoring. And I remember a particular occasion we went out to a pub not far from here to have a chat. And I'd be having a little pray, saying, God, what do you want to say to David? And it seemed to me, here is someone who is uh, reliable, disciplined, focused, um, just a wonderful, terrific uh, guy. But I sense God saying to him, I just want to give him more joy in his life. So um, we sat down in this pub, and I, I said to him, um, David, I, I really feel like I've got something from God to say to you. And he said, oh, good, because I've got something I want to ask you. Why don't you go first? So I said, okay. So I said to him, David, I sense God saying to you, he wants to bring joy into your life. And he almost fell off his chair. He said, say that to me again. I said, I just sense God saying to you that he wants to give you joy. And he started laughing. He said, well, the thing I want to ask you about is I've started this connection with this girl online. And I'm wondering about whether to ask her out. Her name is Joy. <laughs> and you're sitting there telling me I need joy in my life. God's bringing joy into my life. So... He asked her out. It went well. They got engaged. They got married. And as you know, they've now got a little baby. And they are serving the Lord in the east end of London, working with the Muslim community there. Most of the time, God works in spite of me, kind of sneaks in the back door. Jesus says to us that he wants to give us joy. And isn't just a little bit of joy. He says, complete joy. The Greek word for complete there is to be filled with joy. It's not, I think I almost felt happy there for 30 seconds. He wants you to be completely joyful. And it is also not just a little bit of joy and not just any old joy. It's his joy, the joy of Jesus in you. And you may think, that's surprising because I didn't think Jesus had a lot of joy to give away. Whenever I see joy, Jesus in pictures and films and whatever, he looks utterly miserable. He's never smiling. He either looks cross or marginally bored. Here, this is Google. If you're listening online, Google Jesus. You'll see the most miserable fella. 
I'm weeping and looking slightly constipated and vacant and cross. And, uh, and, and so he's going, I want to give you my joy. You might be thinking, I think I want someone else's. Thank you very much. But as we think about Jesus, you cannot tell me that Jesus didn't smile and laugh and have fun. We know that he wept. We're told that. And so he must surely have laughed. We know that children liked hanging out with Jesus. And that means that he can't have been too grumpy and miserable because if you're like that with kids, they don't want to go anywhere near you. They think you're weird and scary. Uh, you can't tell me that Jesus turned 120 gallons of water into wine, good wine at that. He didn't find the whole thing hilarious. And you may say to me, I said it was a Eucharistic uh, symbol of uh, communion. Yes, yes, yes. But it was funny. Like, imagine the expressions on people's faces as they took their first sip of water and found out it, it, it was really good wine. Jesus was definitely smiling, if not laughing out loud, at the looks on their faces at that moment. Or the moment he meets little Zacchaeus, funny little man, unpopular, climbs a sycamore tree to try and watch Jesus without being watched. In an age, by the way, when men wore dresses and didn't have underpants. These are the things that have been troubling me since Sunday school. And Jesus is there looking up. <laughs> and he goes, ah, Zacchaeus, hello. <laughs> Hi, up there. Yes, you, <laughs> the guy in the tree. Very dignified uh, accountant you are. Now, come on out. I'm coming to your house for tea. You can't tell me that he was, he was looking like that at that point. He's laughing and smiling, finding the whole thing hilarious. Or when... His friend Lazarus has died and everyone's weeping and Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And dun, 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 Lazarus comes out of the grave. And, but Lazarus was Jesus' best friend. I mean, he had the 12, but to be honest, they were a bit of a handful at times. And the writer Frederick Buckner says, Lazarus was the one friend Jesus had with whom he didn't have to be the Messiah all the time. I love that because he wasn't one of the 12. He just hang out with him. And so his Lazarus, he's died. Bad news. Jesus comes Raise him from the dead, and he comes out, and there's all these people. Imagine the look on their faces. Oh, oh, a dead bloke's come. You can't tell me that Jesus isn't at least smiling at that moment, finding it somewhat amusing, and probably with some tears in his eyes too. Or the moment he's come back from the dead, and he thinks, um, I think I'm going to surprise my disciples. Now, this is a hell of a surprise, or a heaven of surprise, whatever you want to call it. It's a big surprise. It's not just... Hi, I've had a haircut. It's like, you know, you saw that whole seeing me crucified thing. I'm back. It's a big surprise. How am I going to... And he's there, Jesus saying to the Father, mm, Father's going, why don't you do the walking on water thing again? And he goes, no. Peter will jump out the boat in his coat. and It's just all left. I've been there, done it. And the Holy Spirit says, well, why, why, don't, why don't you cook them breakfast? Jesus goes, brilliant idea. <laughs> They're out there fishing. He... Rocks up on the beach. You imagine him chuckling to himself, getting all the kit together. Did he catch the fish? Or like, had he just like magic to couple out the water? I don't know. Must have been tempting, wasn't it? Come on. And uh, the fish is going, why are you whistling at me? I'm not a dog. I'm the Messiah. Oh, okay then. I'll come. I'll get on your fire. And so, and, and, and Jesus... And, and, and Jesus is there, and the guys come ashore, and they're going, oh, there's a nice smell of, of... Do you get mackerel in the Sea of Galilee? Yes, let's say you do. 
Tuna, tuna. You get enormous tuna in the Sea of Galilee. It's well known for its tuna. He's cooking tuna. We like tuna steaks. And, and they think, oh, he's cooking tuna on the beach out there. And then they get closer. He looks a little bit like <laughs> the guy we saw crucified a few days ago. And, and they come up to him, jaws on the floor. And he, I guarantee, he was just really casual. It wasn't like, hello! You may remember me. <laughs> it's, he, I guarantee he was there like this. He doesn't even stand up. He's just turning the tuna steaks. And he goes, all right then. <laughs> you all right? Fancy some tuna. <laughs> it's hilarious. This is Jesus. He is uh, human as well as God. And I think often the trouble is not that Jesus wasn't and isn't full of joy, but that his followers are often not very good reflectors of that joy. And um, these are genuine. Again, those listening online, I urge you with everything within me to Google right now. Type into Google, the faith tones Jesus used me. So much wrong even there. And and, and you'll find three wonderful sisters in some kind of singing group with hairstyles that frankly are meteorologically extraordinary. They are, they're like, you need planning permission. And they're almost smiling. It's just extraordinary. And then on the other side, you're, we've got a picture of these women, uh, clearly not into makeup with funny hats on, and they're pointing, looking very grumpy at a sign saying, lips that touch liquor shall not touch ours. Men, we are devastated, aren't we, at the sheer power of the, the female uh, persona. I love that prayer of Teresa of Avia. From silly devotions and sour-faced saints, good Lord, deliver us. Who wants to say amen to that? James Joyce, the great Irish novelist, uh, in his first novel, uh, which is Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man, um, describes the main protagonist, a guy called Stephen Dedalus, who's actually an alter ego for, for James Joyce himself, um, trying to decide whether to become a priest or not. And, and eventually, uh, Stephen Dedalus decides not to become a priest because he gets a vision of what it will do to his face. And this is what he says. He, he, he sort of sees what his face will become like if he becomes a priest. He, he sees a mirthless mask reflecting a sunken day, sour-favored and devout, shot with pink tinges of suffocated anger. <laughs> and he thinks, I don't want that face. Well, let's look at what the Bible says about Jesus and about joy. First of all, Jesus shows up that first Christmas. The angels appear. And what is their news? As they party in heaven and appear on earth, they say, we bring you good news of great joy. And it's great joy for all people. If you want to summarize, if, you, if you're trying to think of that opening line with which you'll announce to earth the coming of God in Christ, how do you do it? You say it's good news and it's great joy. The coming of Jesus is joy. 
And then we think about Jesus. If you say to biblical scholars, what was the heart of Jesus teaching? They'd probably say, the Sermon on the Mount. You say, very good. And what's the heart of the Sermon on the Mount? They'd probably say, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the cheesemakers and all that stuff, right? Blessed, 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 blessed. We can change the word blessed for just happy. You say, you'll be happy. In my kingdom, there'll be happiness for the meek. There'll be happiness for the poor in spirit. I want to turn things on their head so that instead of being miserable and self-destructing, you will be happy. And then when Jesus stands up one day to explain what he's doing, his whole mission statement, he chooses Isaiah 61 that says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me to preach good news to the poor. And then he talks about the oil of joy instead of mourning and the spirit of praise instead of despair. And then the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul comes and says to us, rejoice always. And again I say, in case you weren't concentrating the first time, rejoice. And again I say, in case you tell me it's totally unreasonable and not possible and I don't understand your circumstances, rejoice, 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 rejoice. Boing, 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 echo, echo, joy, 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 rejoice. And then, and then he says, he says look, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. In other words, he's saying, so you're filled with the Holy Spirit. What's that going to look like? He says, well, it'll be love. You'll be a loving person. And joy and peace and patience. Joy will be one of the marks being filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is joy. So when he fills your life, you become more joyful. Life becomes more enjoyable. Joy is at the heart of God's plan for your life because joy is at the heart of God himself. Ow! It's good news. Joy is at the heart of God's plan for your life because joy is at the heart of God himself. So we believe in a God who is the God of music and sport and sex and creation and killer whales and cute little animals and dancing and laughter. He could have made the world so boring if he had chosen. He could have made it tedious and grumpy. But he said, I'm going to invent colors. The Holy Spirit said, They'll only, the Christians will only ever like beige. He said, I'm going to create lots of colors for them. I'm going to create lots of food for them. They'll only ever have elderflower and quiche. No, I'm going to create lots of food for them. He's a God of joy. They'll need to reproduce. I suggest you do it with a handshake. No! <laughs> Don't go there. Here's a great verse. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9. This is saying of Jesus, God your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Jesus, the thing that set him apart from his companions, indeed above his companions, was the oil of joy. He was just happier than them. Which is why I, I was thinking one day when we get our own building, I, I made this decision last night, I'm going to ask my friend Charlie or someone else, if Charlie's a little busy, which he probably will be, to paint a big fat picture of Jesus smiling or laughing because there are not enough out there. Don't you think? Good. Um, and so the oil of joy sets Jesus apart. And I just sense actually for someone here, that in your work environment, it's very negative and cynical and critical and stressful. And one of the things that's going to set you apart in your work environment is that you're going to be a joy bringer. And the moment you're being more of a 
chameleon than a catalyst. You're reflecting that negative environment, getting sucked into it instead of changing it. I, I, I just sense it might even be a key to favor in terms of promotion at work, this thing of you're the person who's going to bring joy into the uh, office environment. John Piper says this, Jesus is the happiest being in the universe. If Christ is gloomy or even calmly stoical, then eternity will be a long, long sigh. But the glory and grace of Jesus is that he is and always will be indestructibly happy. I say it is his glory because gloom is not glorious, and I say it is his grace because the best thing he has to give us is his joy. G.K. Chesterton, the, the famous Catholic writer, just says the most beautiful thing about, uh, about God's capacity for joy. Listen to this, he says. Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, and the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. Anyone remember that? On that place? On the swings? Do it again, Daddy! Do it again! Do it again! Uh, again and again. You know that that child is never going to stop wanting that fun thing again and again and again. Cheston says, for grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. I love that. Not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It's possible that God says every morning, ah, do it again to the sun. And then every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy for, listen to this, we have sinned and grown old, and our Father is younger than we. Wow. Now, you've probably got some head noise saying, yeah, but life's tough. It's painful and it's difficult, and of course it is. Let me say this very carefully. I don't think that joy is the same thing as happiness. I think joy is bigger and deeper than happiness. Happiness tends to be because of circumstance. Joy tends to be in spite of circumstance. Happiness because of circumstance. Joy in spite of circumstance. Karl Barth, the great... Uh, Swiss theologian of the last century, said joy is a defiant nevertheless. S things can be difficult. There can be incredible pain, many problems. But the, 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 the quality of joy is a defiant nevertheless. And you all know people who model this. Their lives are tough, but there is not necessarily happiness. They may not be happy about the chemotherapy. They may not be happy about what happened to their marriage. They may not be happy about where one of their kids is at, but there is a deep-seated joy, a defiant nevertheless about them. Some Christians sort of imply that non-Christians don't know joy. That's rubbish, clearly. The difference, I think, is that in Christ, we've got a source of joy that doesn't run out when our circumstances change. So, for example, you can find joy in a relationship. 
but the honeymoon phase will wear off. You can find joy in money. Don't believe the people who say there isn't a bit of fun to be had with money. But it will never be enough. You can find joy in kids, but they won't be around forever. Last night, um, I went to pick our boys up from the Bowers house quite late. I think it was getting on for midnight. And uh, Hudson, I won't embarrass, but is just a hilarious human being. <laughs> I'm very proud of him. He's very funny and a bit too sharp for his own good at times. Uh, well, first of all, Danny, our younger one, noticed that I had come out in my slippers. It was a cold night. It was late. Did anyone else here ever done that? Casual trip down to BP in your slippers? Some of you got them on now. I've noticed women. Women have done a very clever thing. They said, I have turned my slipper into a boot and wear it everywhere. <laughs> I like that. But you're only one step away from going out in your onesie and <laughs> elasticated waists and <laughs> all the rest of it. Anyway. Uh, so I went out to pick the kids up near midnight in my slippers. Danny spotted this. He said, oh, Dad, you're wearing your slippers. Embarrassing. Hudson said this. He said, that's so cool. I can't wait to be old enough to let myself go in that kind of way. <laughs> I said, did you just compliment me or insult me? He said, honestly, Dad, both. You can find joy in your kids sometimes. <laughs> but you can always find joy in Jesus. You can defy circumstance. Gerard Manley Hopkins, another great poet, is a priest as well. Age 45, he catches typhoid and he's about to die. So he's 45, not particularly old. Increasingly seems young, in fact. And he's got typhoid, he's dying, and he's single. Pretty miserable. And his last words were, I am so happy, I am so happy, I loved my life. Now, technically, I think what he meant was, I am so joyful, I am so joyful, I've loved my life. But you don't correct someone's grammar when they're on their deathbed. <laughs> I suppose you could. I mean, they're not going to complain. But it wasn't in his circumstance, the typhoid, the singleness, the 45. It was that he knew a source of joy even bigger than his impending death. One uh, British army officer who was imprisoned during the last war uh, in Flossenburg with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor who would, of course, be martyred in 1945, just before the end of the war. That, that, that officer noticed this of Bonhoeffer. He said, Bonhoeffer always seemed to me to spread an atmosphere of happiness and joy over the least incident and he spread profound gratitude for the mere fact that he was alive. He, he, he's known and prized for his great theological writings. There's a sculpture of him on the front of Westminster Abbey. But his character was joyful. When we were going through, I think, probably one of the darkest times we've been through in our married life, when Sammy was in hospital again and again, and particularly on one, at one, on one long stretch when we, we were awaiting um, surgery. I wasn't happy, and I was really scared. But I can honestly tell you there was a joy. And I think it was 
the awareness that Jesus was with us. Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, of fear no evil, you're with me. I suppose it's a bit like being a little, little kid and you're in the middle of a really terrifying crowd, but you're holding your dad's hand in the midst of all the fear. You feel like, I'm at least with him and I think it's going to be okay. There's kind of a joy in that reassurance. See, as I look at life, I think that, I don't think I know, suffering is inevitable in your life. If that comes as a shock to you, I'm so sorry. If you lived a charmed life so far, it's not going to go on forever. Hard things are going to come. Suffering is inevitable in life, but joy is not. We all know people who've pretty much gone through their life without laughing ever, <laughs> without any joy. And that means... Please, don't pursue hard things. Don't suffer. Oh, I've got to do something terrible. Pursue joy. Uh, celebrate the small. Listen well. Love well. Enjoy life. Discipline yourself to enjoy life. Budget your time. Budget your money to make sure there's space for joy in your existence as a defiant nevertheless against the suffering that will surely come. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 15, a, a wonderful verse that hardly anyone knows, says this, I commend the enjoyment of life, because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their, um, in their toil all the days of the life that God has given them under the sun. You are commanded to go and enjoy your Sunday lunches today. And so, as we draw this together, I want us to think about how we grow in joy. How do we actually earth this in our lives? But before I do, I need to say something really important, which is this. There is a form of joylessness, a kind of black hole in which you can't encounter or experience joy that, of course, we call depression. And it's clinical. And it's not something you're going to be able to get out of by just trying hard to be happy. And so if you or someone you know is, is locked in a kind of joylessness that they cannot get free of, even when their circumstances are wonderful, um, and they're unable any longer to empathize with the joy of others, i.e. derive joy from the fact that other people are happy, then you or that person needs, needs to ask for help, medically, clinically, some counseling or some antidepressants. And that is not a sign of weakness. That is a sign of great clarity and strength that says, there's something wrong that I need to get right for my own sake and the sake of others, and I'm going to be clear-minded about it and not just live in denial or hide from it. And so I want to say really clearly, one of the tools that Jesus bring, uses to bring joy into some people's lives, if they're in that cycle, I'm not just talking that you feel a bit miserable and you have a few gloomy days, but you are clinically depressed, whether it's diagnosed or not. One of the tools might be uh, medication or counseling. And do listen to Mick Brooks' excellent talk that we did uh, on depression last term in our um, Ouch series uh, for, for more on the Christian view of all of that. Now, in these verses, Jesus gives two 
keys to joy. And they are obedience and love. First of all, obedience. He says, if you keep my commands. And then he says, if you remain in my love. In fact, it's a progression. He's saying, um, keep my commandments and you'll remain in my love. And if you remain in my love, then you'll experience my joy. Uh, and we don't often think about joy this way. We tend to think joy is a fairground ride. Joy, you know, is the, a nice song on the radio. Not joy as the fruit of obedience. In fact, we tend to think that rules and obedience are somehow the antithesis of joy. But the truth is that true joy comes to those who devote themselves to something greater than personal happiness. I've been fascinated by those two men climbing the dawn wall of El Capitan in uh, Yosemite over the last few weeks. You might have um, seen them on the news. It's just extraordinary to me. It took them 19 days free climbing. That means only climbing with their fingertips and their toes. Ropes in case they fell when they did, but free climbing. It took them 19 days to climb 3,000 feet on a sheer face that everyone has always said was unclimbable. And it took 19 days, but actually seven years. They've been preparing and training for seven years to climb these 3,000 feet. Um, they said that one of the problems they had was as they sometimes had to leap to catch the tiniest little cracks with their fingers that eventually, of course, their fingers would give out and their fingers would split and they would just be bleeding and they'd then have to rest up hanging from the uh, rock uh, for three days until their skin regrew so they could then try again. Just unbelievable discipline. And then they got to the top and this is what uh, they said. It was pure joy to top out. That was, I assume top out is a technical expression, one I shall use regularly henceforth. Um, get to the top of the stairs, I think I've topped out, darling. Um, get, actually, these days, get out of an armchair. I've topped out brilliantly for that armchair. And she'll say tipped out, more likely. But, uh, but pure joy, pure joy. There can be a rigorous discipline on the journey to joy. And see, God gives us commandments not to spoil our fun or deprive our joy, but to lead us into greater joy, not to cramp our style. So when our kids were little, if they decided to go and play football by the A3 one Sunday afternoon, I'd have said, don't get away from there. It's dangerous. Now, get away. Now, that's not me cramping their style or spoiling their fun. Oh, you're so oppressive. Philip Larkin wrote a poem about people like you. You know, that's me loving them, saying, get away from there. I want you to have a happy and long life. Sin will give you happiness, but it will steal your joy. It'll give you a little bit of happiness, some moments, but it will be a pretty bad trade-off because in exchange you'll surrender joy. What do I mean? Well, when God commands us to be faithful to our partners, it is because we all know that ultimately there is no greater joy than to become ultimately that crinkly old couple walking down the seafront finishing each other's sentences. God doesn't want to deprive you of that narrative, that journey, that depth of relationship. 
for the sake of a couple of one-night stands. When God commands us to give financially, it is because greed is cancerous to your soul and generosity is fun and liberating. When God commands us to forgive people, it's because bitterness will eat you on the inside and out from there. When God commands us to share our faith with others, it's because the greatest joy in life is when we see someone coming to know Jesus and, and, and they're going, it's all true, he loves me and I can be forgiven and their lives start to come back together, their relationships start to get mended. Uh, and I remember leading someone to the Lord and forgetting to mention heaven. And he was really into it. And then one day he came to me and said, I just found out I get heaven as well. I was like, oh, yeah. It's kind of like a really good extra. It's, just, it's, quite, it's a hell of an extra. Well, technically not. Anyway. What joy. I remember my friend Dave at university. I said to him, do you want to come to church? And he told me to F off. I said, they do lasagna afterwards. He said, all right then. Who came, and there's this really stunningly beautiful girl who was going to the church that time. He liked men are pretty shallow, really, lasagna and pretty girls. <laughs> basically it. And um, so he came back again, obviously, uh, and, uh, and he kept coming. And one day he rather carelessly gave his life to Jesus Christ. And um, I still remember going back to my room in halls of residence. A uh, little room and sitting on the floor and Dave praying his first prayer out loud. And there were just tears coming down both our cheeks. It's the most beautiful moment. Jesus commands us to share our faith because what a joy. Angels would like to have a go, but he's given us the privilege. He commands us not to get drunk on wine, but to be filled with the Spirit because the Spirit According to St. Stephen Sarov of the 18th century, the spirit turns to joy whatever he touches. A spirit-filled life is an enjoyable life. A spirit-filled community is a relational, fun, celebratory community. And so if we will keep Jesus' commandments, we will experience greater joy. But also it's if we remain in the Father's love. And Hannah spoke brilliantly last week about, about abiding in God's love. I encourage you to uh, listen to that. But you know, part of remaining in God's love is to invest into the Father's community, into loving community, into healthy relationships. Some people are contagious with joy. Get around those people. You all know them, I, I'm quite uh, sure. Uh, here's Renu, who's part of this community, and some of you will remember her sharing a few weeks ago uh, just the incredibly painful circumstances around her conceiving that little baby. And it, it's been a, a massive process and struggle, becoming a single mum. And here she is, and little Henrik has been born, five pounds of him. And she is just overjoyed. Life you get with her, it is contagious joy in spite of the struggle. And of course, there are other people who are not contagious with joy. They're contagious killjoys. And they will sap the joy from life. Beware cynicism. Beware negativity. Beware uh, those patterns of thought that are the thieves of joy. 
And there are environments that we can get into that can rob us of our joy. And I'm going to get into, uh, onto thin ice here if I'm not careful. Uh, but one of the environments that I would suggest to you can rob you of joy is social media. Now, I, I like social media. Um, and uh, I'm a little bit of an idiot with it. Um, someone tried to FaceTime me this morning. I held the phone to my ear. It must have been a beautiful view. Uh, but you know, but I, I like social media. I mean, if you follow me on Twitter, I'm always on that stupid thing. You know, I'm into it. And social media is fascinating, and it is relaxing. It's interesting. But I don't think there are many people who would say it is a deep joy source in my life. And so we need to be disciplined with it. Use it, but not become used by it. It can be very social, but not very relational. It can be quite lonely. Some of us, a key to abiding in the Father's love that we might know more joy is this issue of building strong relationships. And you might want to listen to the talk that we did in the Alt Power series where I talked about attachment theory and how if you haven't formed healthy attachment as children, one of the fruits in your life, according to most uh, psychiatrists, will be a tendency towards rage and, and depression. And that one of the ways we reverse that is to form healthy relationships, to abide in the Father's love through loving community. And finally, if we're to walk in the Father's commandments, and if we are to remain in his love, then we must clearly just get right with God. We must open ourselves to his spirit. We must repent when we get stuff wrong. Don't get operatic and camp about it. Oh, I've sinned. I don't know if I can repent. Just say sorry and move on. You've got to say sorry to someone, say sorry to someone. If, it, if it's habitual, if it's chronic, talk to someone, because when you bring things into the light, they shrivel up, shrivel up and lose their power. But deal with the bad stuff aggressively that you might live more joyfully. Get right with God, because he is the source of joy that outlasts the valleys and the mountains, the highs and the lows, and enables us to rejoice always. So it'd be great to get the uh, musicians back as we just uh, draw this together now. And I'd love us to just pray for people, particularly around that beautiful message of Christ's. The Spirit of the Lord is on me to bring the oil of joy instead of mourning and the spirit of praise instead of despair. And I just think there are some of us here maybe today that we think I need a fresh touch from the Holy Spirit to bring the oil of joy, this is Jesus' mission to do it, the oil of joy where I'm mourning and praise instead of despair. And I did sense the Lord saying to me, there's someone here who um, you've been in mourning and it's been appropriate, you know, there's a season for lament, but that today is the time to draw the line under it and say enough is enough, no more mourning. It's time to swap it for the oil of joy. And he just wants to come and bring uh, his spirit to you to bring joy where you've been in mourning. I, I don't know if it's a loss of a relationship or a uh, loss of a person that you love or, or, or whatever it is, but a sense of drawing a line under that. And maybe for others of us, it's, uh, you know, the Lord's speaking to us about just, we've got into negative ways of thinking, cynical and bitter ways of thinking, joyless ways of thinking. We want to change that. I've, I, I, I've watched people who parent their children well because, I, you know, I don't think I'm very good at it. And one of the things I've noticed is this. 
that, that children who grow up the healthiest and happiest, whether or not it's even in Christian homes, tend to be in homes where their parents behind closed doors spoke positively and well. And where they grew up in an environment where when the doors were closed, there was criticism and cynicism and sarcasm and negativity. Generally, those children grew up quite dysfunctional. It's so important we create cultures that are honest about the struggles, but are honest about the fact that the love of God is greater than everything and that joy prevails. And finally, just as we think about um, praying for some people now, it's interesting, isn't it, that we, we, the Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. And sometimes your lack of strength is a lack of joy. And you, you just feel weary and exhausted and you think, how am I going to deal with this? And maybe is there something I've got to change here or here or here. And maybe there are circumstantial or financial things we've got to change. But sometimes there's a deeper level of tiredness, which is just a joylessness. And we all know that's true because... When joy comes into your life, you become energized. And when you're joyless, everything, even simple things like going to the supermarket can be exhausting. And so I just sense there might be some people here today that he just wants to bring joy into your life where you're tired and weak. And it's a strength to you. It's not going to change your circumstance, but it will change your relationship to your circumstance. So let's stand up together now, shall we?